For many of us, it's on the bucket list to learn another language, whether that's to help with travel plans or just to appreciate another culture or connect with relatives. And you might assume that you're past it beyond a certain age, but don't be so sure. Here's where you come in. I'd love it if you could tell me if you have started or restarted learning a language. How did you choose which one to go with? And how did you go with it, whatever age you were at the time? Distinguished Professor Ingrid Piller is Research Director of Linguistics at Macquarie University. Ingrid, welcome. Hello. This is an interesting one for our audience, I think. I'm looking forward to getting into the nitty-gritty of this. And with us, too, is Dr. Mark Antonio. He's a psycholinguist sorry, at Western Sydney University's Marks Institute for Brain, Behaviour and Development. Mark, welcome to Life Matters. Pleasure to be with you this morning. Mark, let's start with you, and we'll get the elephant out of the room first up. Are you ever too old to learn a new language? Uh, No, you are not. So we know that our brain is capable of learning throughout life, right up into our twilight years. And uh, there is evidence, uh, overwhelming evidence, that people are able to learn languages um, right up until um, older adulthood. The way that we learn changes, of course, uh, but there are some things that adults are better at learning than children even, really? such, as learning new voca- such as learning new vocabulary, yes. So speaking without a foreign accent becomes difficult, but that's not something that we should be too hung up on. So are you saying that if we are finding it easier to learn vocabulary in later life, might we struggle with things like um, getting the grammar rules under our belt? Uh, Grammar can be challenging, but we often make the assumption that if we're learning a language and we're making mistakes, we're doing something wrong. Um, But we do research studies all the time, even with people who are very fluent in multiple languages, and everyone has one language that is more dominant or a language that they're stronger at using. And even native speakers who speak only a single language make mistakes all the time. So we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. We should take a more encouraging uh, attitude and making mistakes is okay. Yes. Well, you mentioned too that there might be changes to the way we learn. What is the best way to learn a language in older age? Well, the best way to learn is by doing it. So you're not going to learn unless if you give it a go. Um, Having said that, languages are tools that we use for communication. And if we can use them for a real purpose and the need, that is often the best way to learn, interacting with as many different uh, speakers and, and people as possible. These days, there are also apps and uh, technology can aid learning. Um, so if you can use technology to supplement some uh, human-to-human uh, communication and interactions, that will usually lead to the best uh, learning outcomes. This is something you're very interested in too. I understand, uh, Professor Ingrid Pillar. Are certain languages harder for older people to learn in your view? Well, look, there are differences um, depending on what your first language is, right? Um, 
because some languages are more similar than others. And that's true at any age. Um, so if we start from someone who speaks English as their first language, then um, like the most similar language is probably Dutch. So you could be going for Dutch and say, well, there's a lot of common vocabulary. The languages didn't part way so long ago, like 2000 years ago, they were still the same language. So um, the grammar is very similar. Um, the culture is very similar. So that would be a good language to learn. But maybe you have absolutely no interest in Dutch culture, right? And then um, that wouldn't be very motivating. So similarity alone is not something that um, should be a factor in your decision. Um, a good way to think about the decision, what language should, should I learn is probably um, maybe is there a language I've learned earlier in life? Like, is there a school language that I could pick up on again where I have some basis? So you started with French and many people probably have learned some French at school in Australia of a certain generation. So that would be a good choice to pick up again. Also, you might kind of think, oh, fantastic. You know, you, you like to travel, you'd like to go to Paris, whatnot. There are lots of resources available. Um, then you could also be thinking about your community languages, um, what's going on in our local community. And Australia is now so diverse that, um, you know, a quarter of the population speak a language other than English at home. Um, more than half of us um are born overseas or have had at least one parents born overseas. So there may be languages in the family that have been lost over generation because that's often happens in Australia that um, the second and third generation in particular lose the heritage language. So you might be interested in picking up the heritage language. And um, that could be a really good choice because you'd be very motivated. You might have um, connections other than just the linguistic ones. And so um, what makes a language easy to learn really depends on a lot of individual factors and there is no one size fits all. Yes. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, which languages are taught in school seems to change a lot over the years. And I realised, mm -hmm. you know, I used the French when I was in France for this tiny little brief blip mm -hmm. of my life. And never since, you know, you don't use it in Australia. If I had thought mm -hmm. about it more, I would have learned Arabic because that would have been more useful in my particular community. And the schools around us are learning mm -hmm. Spanish and uh, Auslan, among mm -hmm. other things. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, unfortunately, actually, school are a bit slow to adapt um, because, of course, you can't easily switch from one language to another because you need the teachers in place, you need the curriculum in place, you need all kinds of textbooks and resources. So switching languages in the school curriculum is really not so easy. And that's why sort of the European languages have been a bit of a mainstay in, in Australian schooling. And as a child, you don't really get a choice, right? I mean, you just have to have to take whatever your schools offer, whatever your schools offer, and even if there are a couple of choices. And I think one thing we are doing wrong in Australia is actually then there has been a lot of chopping and changing. And so um, in schools, we teach like a lot of different languages, but um, none very seriously. And it's like oh, no one ever learns anything much. Um, it's like a couple of years in primary and um, that's only once a week and you never get beyond saying hello and bye-bye um, <laughs> in the other language. And then you only have to study um, 
compulsory, another language in year seven and year eight. And very few students um, across Australia, a bit more in Victoria, where you are, but in the other states, very few students study um, another language up to the HSC. And um, so we really don't give our students that grounding in another language, unfortunately, which um, could be really helpful if you pick it up later in life. Well, and we'll get in, in a moment into why it's so beneficial in later life with, with mm. uh, Dr. Mark Antonio. But Professor Ingrid Piller, why is it a problem if we don't teach kids uh, that depth of language early on? Because it gives them the sense that they're not good at languages. That's a real problem in Australia. So many Australians think they're not good at languages because they've been learning like a particular language for all their primary, but they learned it only once a week for 45 minutes during school terms. And that really doesn't get you very far because in order to learn a language, you actually need to practice like consistently. You really need to chip away at that block like every day, even if you only learn a bit, very, very small time every day, that will give you much better results than um, doing it in, in, in bursts or doing this really small, small drip feed that we do in school in Australia where you just learn so little. And, you know, from one week to the other, you actually forget what's going on. You become self-conscious. And so we actually graduate children who haven't learned a language, but who've learned to think of themselves as poor language learners. And ah. that actually is a real disservice. Some really interesting texts coming on in on this as we speak with Professor Ingrid Piller and Dr. Mark Antonio about learning a language in older age. Jonathan from Canberra says, I've always wanted to study a First Nations language, and it was great mm. to have the opportunity this year to study Gamilaroi through the ANU. Mm. Another, I'm in my 50s. About five years ago, I was visiting a friend in Berlin. We were at a bar with his much younger friends, none of whom spoke English. I asked my friend to help me with their conversation, but obviously he couldn't translate the whole thing. So I figured the old when in Rome applied. I came back to Sydney, started learning German and have been doing so ever since. Last year, I stayed in Berlin for three months doing a language course. I'm still learning, still struggling with cases and genders, but absolutely testing the grey matter daily. And there's a few of those kind of texts. Um, A couple quick before we get into the dementia issue, Mark. One says, I learnt Japanese as an exchange student 46 years ago, recently went back to Japan and tried to relearn the language before I went. I thought I'd forgotten everything and wondered, should I even be bothering? But then the words and grammar came back. But the amazing thing was my whole mind got better. I felt my brain was sharper, my recall quicker, memory better in English as well as Japanese. Now, how good is it for our brains, Mark, when we start learning or relearning a language? Well, this is not a unique experience, and researchers for more than 100 years have been fascinated by the relationship between learning languages and the brain. Initially, it was feared that you know, exposing children to multiple languages might confuse them, right? Mm-hmm. This is a myth, and there is no scientific evidence for that whatsoever. Um, and just to illustrate the point, most people on Earth speak more than one language, and you know, people who speak a single language, that, that puts us in, in the minority of people on Earth. So, of course, there are very obvious benefits to speaking multiple languages, things that 
we've been discussing, expanding your social circles, um, enriching your travel experiences, like your caller from um, from Berlin, for instance. Um, but there are some not-so-obvious advantages as well. And over the past 60 years, there's really quite a convincing body of research that has matured, showing that it, be, it yields benefits for our brains as well. And the basic idea is this, although the details, we're still working them out, the basic idea is that when you learn two languages, they're constantly competing. You, your brain needs to manage this competition so that you are able to select the correct word with the correct uh, conversational partner at the correct time. And the brain structures and networks that enable this uh, overlap with the networks of age-related cognitive decline, so basically becoming less efficient and more forgetful uh, as we age. And there is this notion of cognitive reserve, that is that our brains are somehow able to compensate for the neuropathological changes that happen uh, as we age, as we become more forgetful, for instance, as, as our brains become less able to function in a healthy way. And a, a useful analogy might be uh, let's imagine that you're on on one side of, let's say, the city of Sydney, and you need to get to the other side, and for some reason the harbour bridge is not available. Well, if you have the harbour tunnel available to you, you have an alternate route, an alternate pathway to get the job done, to arrive where you need to be. That's the basic idea we think of how a bilingual brain, for instance, is able to compensate for these age-related, what would be negative changes. There are alternative brain pathways available that allow a bilingual brain to get the job done and function and be sharper, that's how you would experience it, or, or less forgetful or less confused um, than a monolingual brain, which only has the bridge but not the tunnel, the, the alternative route available, not able to compensate in the same way. Okay, so a bilingual brain is constantly comparing and contrasting and making choices, and that's good for us. How solid is the evidence that learning a new language can help stave off the development of dementia if that's going to happen to us? It's been shown in multiple studies and it's been replicated. The claim is that a bilingual brain is able to delay the incidence of dementia by four to five years. It's a controversial claim, but there's evidence that's converging from multiple sources. So we can look at it just in terms of case reports and dementia incidents. So there's evidence from that. There's also biomarkers in the brain, so different expressions of genes or chemicals or uh, brain uh, structures or anomalies. And we see these uh, in bilingual brains in differing amounts to monolingual brains. And probably the most convincing evidence, I think, is that there are some bilingual cases and patients where brain scans reveal that their brains are quite damaged. And a neurologist would think that this person should be showing very obvious behavioral deficits, being forgetful, not being able to remember things, but they don't. And it was a scratching your head moment. And the idea behind this was this cognitive reserve idea. So a brain that should be showing behavioral symptoms of forgetfulness and not functioning as healthy as it should is somehow able to overcome uh, this uh, disability. And that's the idea of compensation, the idea that they're not using these brain structures which have been damaged, but there are other alternative pathways that remain intact that allow the brain to function longer than it otherwise would. 
There are a lot of people uh, taxing their brains for good in our text messaging today on Life Matters. Muzz in Tasmania says, you can teach an old dog new tricks. The key is the want or need to learn. As an ex-training officer, I can say age has not been a barrier, only want or need in any age group. And here are a few interesting examples of what's motivating people to learn. Uh, I'm 47. A few years ago, I decided to learn German and Russian so I could read my favourite classics in the original language. My German is now good enough to take on Kafka, but it will be a while before my Russian is good enough for Bulgakov. And Mary says, I'm learning Spanish on Duolingo with a 400-day streak. I'm 62, going well. I had a start living in Latin America 15 years ago, but now the new big motivation is that my son is marrying a Spanish woman. That is going to go down so well, Mary. Well done, you. Professor Ingrid Piller, that's a tricky thing about language, isn't it? Kind of keeping up your streak, keeping up your motivation. What are the best ways to help us stick to it? Habits, good habits, develop good habits in addition to the motivation, of course. But um, I think, um, you know, apps are fantastic and um, the, the way Duolingo does it with the streaks, that's sort of really compelling because it's like gaming our language learning. Um, however, um, as Mark said earlier, apps can only ever be supplementary. I mean, language is about actually interacting language is not just in the brain it's also something we do together right and that's the excitement of language learning that we do it in interaction with other people and so um either finding those opportunities where you can practice those languages. And I, I would say um, language learning classes are actually also an important part of that practice. So we shouldn't just think about like being able to go over th- overseas and then think, well, you know, how, how, how many more times in my life can I go to Paris and, and or Berlin and um, how much carbon emissions is that going to be? It's also about finding your local communities. And again, I'd go back to that point in Australia, we actually are a very multilingual nation. There are so many different languages being spoken. And um, can I just say something that um, to Jonathan's point earlier about learning Gamilaroi, because I think that's a really important point to actually um, for us to consider also learning indigenous languages. I think that's such an important matter of recognition and one thing that learning another language particularly a language that is very very different from um, the languages we know from european languages is actually it really also helps us appreciate um, differences in worldview and it helps us appreciate how difficult it is to learn another language and i think that would really go a long way also to just appreciate the difficulties that migrants face when they come to this country or the difficulties that the indigenous people faced when um you know just linguistic difficulties on top of everything else when um after colonization there is this fantastic book by um inga clendin and dancing with strange that's based on the diaries of the officers of the first fleet and all these guys were learning so were trying so hard to learn um the sydney language the indigenous language of the sydney basin and they just kept saying it's too difficult and um they actually had a lot of admiration for the indigenous people who were much faster learning english
or some form of English than they were at um, learning an indigenous language. And so I think um, just this recognition that language learning is also really hard and fraught and um, that you feel silly when you make mistakes and, um, you know, that you may feel shy or that you just can't actually, you know, you want to express some, I mean, one of the big hurdles for adults in language learning is, of course, that you know so much more and you're like this brilliant person in your first <laughs> language or your dominant language and you can make jokes or whatnot. And in your second language, you're the speechless person, right? Who is kind of a bit dumb and can't really have an intelligent conversation and has sort of five-year-old toddler speak. And yeah. that really doesn't very well with our self-image and that's sort of a really big barrier and um to work away at that barrier, I think it teaches us something about ourselves. It teaches us humility, but also a greater appreciation of, of diversity and other people. So I think that's great about language learning. Yep. I remember the first time I made a joke in French and the ego boost was unbelievable after feeling like a baby <laughs> for months. Yeah. It's been so fascinating to explore the challenges and benefits of language learning at whatever stage of life it is with you both today. Distinguished Professor Ingrid Piller, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Hilary. It was a pleasure. Ingrid's the Research Director of Linguistics at Macquarie University. Dr. Mark Antonio, thank you so much for giving us an insight into the effect of language on the brain. My pleasure. Have a lovely day. Mark's a psycholinguist at Western Sydney University's Marks Institute for Brain Behaviour and Development. I want to leave you with a text or two because they're just gorgeous, all the ones that are coming in. I decided to learn Mandarin, says M, when I retired, and I found I could communicate at a basic level when travelling through China in 2018. The extra benefit was that Chinese people were so surprised that I knew some of their language that it opened up lots of other interactions. I discovered that many people in China have learned to read English but not to speak it. So I used my limited understanding of Mandarin tones to help me decipher their spoken English. Fabulous for everyone. And she says, Zizi, which I hope I pronounced correctly and not said something terrible. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.